0: engage in equip a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. My name is Hannah. I'm on staff here at High Point, and I'm joined by our lead pastor, Nick Gibson, who just momentarily stepped five feet away from the microphone before he's supposed to say hello, Hello, <laughs> hey, back. and we are going to discuss the year 2021 in review for High Point Church. So Nick, looking back at 2021. What spiritual dangers, new or old, were particularly present for us this year? And how did we do in facing them?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's gonna be obviously some variance in people's lives. I'm talking about the church as a, as a like organism of humans together for Christ's sake here at High Point, right? And I think it's really hard to live in a time where things are abnormal, but not an emergency. So like a good portion of last year it felt like we were in a semi-emergency or at least that's how we were supposed to feel. And then this year it was like, we weren't really in an emergency, but we also weren't like back to normal. And so that's kind of a really weird state to be in. And so to like put your hand to the grindstone and like really do any kind of work to move things forward in a time where that's kind of uncertain of like, will these gains last and will this really fit the next thing? And it's tough. But I feel like, um, High Point has done a has done a pretty good job in that. Like like people were really generous, um, and were really were really um, supportive of, of us making investments in churches this year. Um, we invested, I want to say, more than three hundred thousand dollars outside of High Point Church in um, in all kinds of ways. It was supporting people who were just in need of food, all the way to. Um, helping uh, churches increase their worship capacity, who were actually growing during the pandemic. Um, you know, we had talked about about doing a building campaign here at High Point to increase our capacity on this campus because before the before COVID hit, we were like kind of hitting a new maximum. But there are churches like we were and we so we've been we've been down all through COVID, but there are churches that were standing room only that were that were growing through COVID because of something that they were doing right, and so we invested really. Relative to the couple million dollars it would have taken to do something here, I mean, we were we were investing twenty five thousand dollars here, thirty thousand dollars there, twelve or six thousand dollars, so that churches could make significant gains. And so that was really interesting to to be functioning like venture capitalists last year in terms of the money God was entrusting us with, rather than like just building our institution so to speak um i thought that was good um there's a lot of ways in which i I think the big heroes are really our small group leaders for me for people to be kind of like stuck in this in between time and then to say okay i need to just keep doing this work of like caring for people helping people grow caring for people helping people grow in my house in my life so for me i think some of the big wins are people coming to church Um, there I would include people who are watching virtually I think I don't think you can get the same thing you get virtually that you get in person but I do think it takes discipline and care and worship to make sure you are worshiping virtually and families that did that and even families that invited like just another family over for it I think um, I think is really good so I think that there was a lot of that kind of stuff that happened that was positive you know in this
0: last year Mm mm-hmm Um, burnout has been a really big problem for people in the service industries, you know, healthcare, emergency services, mental health, and in ministry. Um, how are we, how are our leaders doing? What's your sense for you personally and for our elders, for our staff, for other volunteer leaders?
1: Yeah, um, I, I think that, um, I think most of the helping professions have struggled a lot with burnout. I think the medical ones have struggled the most, um, especially in, in areas like nursing and in-bed care. But I think that this has been true of social workers and lots of people, and it's been very true of pastors and people in ministry. That's, that's real. I think that um, one of the things that I did really early on, like literally in March when we closed the church for the first time, I said, listen, you guys, this is going to be, there's no end to this this is not going to be a two week thing. This is going to be the rest of this year. And then it's going to change again. And I knew pretty early on that this was not the sort of thing that was just going to go away. Right. And so I didn't know if that meant that we wouldn't be able to employ half of our staff in the next year. I didn't know what it was going to mean, but I just knew what this wasn't short term. So because of that, I was like, so we need to not behave in such a way as this is going to, this is only the last six weeks. So I tried to do some burnout prevention stuff right at the beginning. Then about six months in, we did some more stuff with staff in particular, to try to like help people who were getting burned out that the people who basically Nicole and I were on stage every single week and a lot was kind of on our shoulders. And so I, we try to make sure that Nicole in particular was doing okay. Obviously Mike took a, like a sabbatical at the end of last year, I think it was like five or six weeks long, which he had never taken in 40 years of ministry. I was really glad he was willing to take that. And so we have done a bunch of things to try to give people leave. We've been a lot more permissive, permissive, And made a lot more things permissible in terms of taking time off work really hard for a couple weeks but then take an extra day off that third week kind of thing um so i think we're doing okay we've checked in with the staff a little bit more and now that we've hired jeff king to help with some pastoral stuff um it's created a little bit more opportunity first like mike Beresford to really make sure we know how the staff are feeling um that's who's supervising most of them so brandon who supervises the admin staff brandon ellis and then mike who's the executive pastor. Um, and then uh, there's a couple people I oversee. I oversee communications and worship because I, I oversee the front of house stuff because I'm the most integrally in involved in producing worship and, and putting the worship service together. So Nicole and John and um, Haley are under me. So um, it's it, so far, I, I think we've done a pretty good job. And, and Nicole has done a really admirable job. She's one of the best I've ever seen at splitting up home life, work life, and going on meaningful vacations with her whole family and with just her husband she, i mean she she just she is so on she just does not have ADD at all i mean she's just just on task like this is what i'm doing now then we're doing this and she works as hard as anybody at our church but she also has a personal life has a devotional life and really does a great job doing what she can in the areas and then not living in idolatry about what what else she must to do to make the others work and so Um, I think the benefit of that for the church has been is she hasn't just hasn't burned out as badly as you would think with the responsibility that she's taken on, Mm -hmm. you know. And then I I guess I would say I've been, Mike has also done, he were, most people know how hard Mike works, but he works, he works a lot of hours. But I think one of the things that Mike does really well is he tries to make sure he's doing a good bit of stuff that he really enjoys and that recharges him. So they, they have so many people at their house. I want to say it's more than 200 unique visitors to their house since they bought the house in Lodi less than two years ago. I mean, that's 200 different people they've had over for dinner. And it's pastors from other churches and people younger people from our church and couples and people for marriage counseling. But for him, that's pretty recharging. You know what I mean? And so Mike works a lot of hours, but he does a good job of like balancing what's depleting and what's in, what's recharging for him. And I think that Estelle supports him a lot in that, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another example of folks who have like worked really hard not to get burned out. Devin, I think, is the one who struggled the most being like he moved his family from Australia. Right. And that was just naturally going to burn out everybody and create all kinds of problems. But Devin's done a good job of make, just frankly making himself scarce. I mean, one of the things I told him when he first got here was... I don't need you to hit the ground running so hard that you kill yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So just relax. And so I think he's done a pretty good job of that. So we'll see how, how things go once they really find a baseline. Mm-hmm. Uh, praise God. Um, I mean, they they were able to buy a house. They were they didn't know if that was even gonna be a, something they could even do. Mm-hmm. And they were able to buy a house that they could afford that was like in a reasonably good neighborhood I mean like not that far from the church, still on this side of the city. So that's going to give um, Jory and their family more stability, which I think is going to be really important for mm-hmm. them. So so yeah, I think a lot of good stuff has happened relative to burnout. I think we've also had some good some good providence and just being able to replace people who have left. Mm-hmm. Um, when Jill left, that was of course a really big hit for me mm-hmm. um, even though it was time for her to leave I mean she's doing I think exactly what God wants her to do mm-hmm. um, but but it's been it's been good to have I mean you were you were here at that same time and then um, as we come to this next year Aaron Aaron um, Hesse's moving into that position which I think is going to be I'm hoping that's going to be the best it's ever been because mainly because she's going to be the first person serving under me in that way full-time and I think her, she's going to have the ability to get her head around things. And she's been working at the church for like seven or eight years, mm-hmm. so she knows everybody. She knows everything we do. She's been in a couple different positions in the church, and so I'm. Re- and she's smart as a whip, and she's real passionate and emotional in a good way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I, I'm just, I'm really excited to have Aaron in that position. Um, and then mm-hmm. some people don't know that obviously that we we've had a couple. I think one of the other areas where God has been so good to us because of the service. Of somebody's in youth Mm -hmm. that with Luke stepping down, I think COVID, I mean, I think with Luke stepping down because he was having some of these personal issues, I think that was, that was related to a lot of things, but I think it was exacerbated by the COVID season. And Luke did a bunch of innovative things early on to try to like really engage youth that I think were really great. But when he got to the point where he really needed to step down and I think he did the right thing, for himself and for the ministry at that point. Um, Nate Wagner, who had been a parent, had been a youth pastor earlier in his life, stepped in and gave leadership there. And we've had some people serve part-time. Um, Gabe Brandon for a while, and now um, uh, Paxton Bauer is in that position, part-time position. And Paxton's kind of going to seminary on the side. And um, and his wife, Morgan, of course, really, really great too. We've got some incredible younger volunteers in that ministry. So um, because Nathan came on, uh, and serve basically as a youth pastor for free.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, he's done a great job, and he doesn't appear to be burned out yet. Uh, we're monitoring him very closely, both talking with him and and his wife and children. <laughs> but he seems to be enjoying it so far. Yeah. So.
0: Uh,
1: However, I'll, I should say one last thing about burnout. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to be fairly generous even into this next year with staff, mm-hmm. and so uh, I'm going to be pre- I'm going to preach the fewest number of sermons I've probably preached in six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm going to preach 30 times next year out of 52 Sundays, which is I usually I've never gone below 32, I think was the lowest and 34 or 36 usually. And last year, last couple of years, I preached in the 40s or mm-hmm. like low high 30s, low 40s. But we have Devin now and he's he's kind of cutting his teeth and like going from lecturer, professor, lecturer to preacher, which is is it, we all have to go through that. <laughs> if you live in the seminary, it doesn't matter if you were a good student at seminary it makes an academic out of you in a certain kind of way, which is good Mm -hmm. because it makes you a careful thinker and a good researcher. But then you have to go through this process where you're like, okay, um, how do I say, just say this normal, like, Mm -hmm. and, and how do I like, Make it all applicable. Make it all feel applicable. Right. You know, instead of just like, I'm going to give you a lecture and at the end, because this is a sermon, I'll give you a couple points of application. So I think, I mean, I think he's transitioning faster than I did, you know, <laughs> so, and this church is much more forgiving than the church I went to in Lynn Haven was like a nice redneck Southerner church and they would bless your heart, but they, they would, they'd, they'd find a way to help you understand right? you weren't, you weren't getting the, the wheat down where the cows are, you know, so to speak. So... um. I forgot why I told you that. Burnout. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're just, we're gonna be, we're gonna be, oh yeah. So I'm only preaching like 30 right. sermons, right? And but we have Eric Hesse, who's a missionary from Berlin here this year, who was did his MDiv at Trinity when I did. He is uh he's I think a better preacher than me. He's less less of a jokester. You get less stand up comedy, but you get a really good perspective and a really godly Bible center preaching that's really gospel focused. And this is a guy who like has done ministry in Richland Center here. And has done ministry in Berlin, and I just love. And he's has an adopted son from Haiti, and he's just lived in a couple, few different states. And he, I just really love his perspective. And he is very, he's a very thoughtful person. So he's going to preach two or three times. Mike Baris is going to preach a couple of times, I think three times. And I like hearing from him a little bit more. And I think some people really love to hear from him. Manohar is going to preach, and then we have Devin, of course, who's preaching. So I think the preaching rotation is going to be great. Mm-hmm. But hopefully that's going to be less taxing on me Mm -hmm. and I can be a better spiritual leader for the church Mm -hmm. as well as my family and my, in my life.
0: How can, I mean, you mentioned a lot of the support that the church has given already. How can the church be praying for you and for the other leaders in this next year?
1: Yeah. Um, I think praying for us, I think that the prayer you always want to be praying for us is very similar. It's like that we would be more devoted to the Lord, that we would know him better that we would not fall into any of the pitfalls of Ezekiel, mm-hmm. you know, for, for those who will hear that episode, you know, that, that we would we would love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and that we would have the courage to do what we should. And then I think the other thing is to recognize that um, spiritually speaking, we're the point of the spear in the spiritual fight that is the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing that the place where your heart is worn outside your body is your children. And so I think labor is prayer for the children of everybody on the ministry staff. Not just my children, though, please pray a lot for my children, but for the children of everybody, even the grown children of mm-hmm. the people on our ministry team right. and our staff. So like, you know, Nicole's children are really young. Mike's children are grown. They're they're basically just, just under my age. But to pray just very devoutly and piously for God to work in our kids' lives. Because when, when Jesus is the family business, even when your, your parents have a lot of integrity and they love God with all their heart. It's still, it's still kind of hard to make the jump for yourself mm-hmm. and for your faith to be fully independent of your parents and mm-hmm. all that,
0: right.
1: you know. And Alex and I have tried to do so much to make it really good for our kids. And it's still, they, they've still struggled with it in some ways, you know. So,
0: Yeah. Okay, since you mentioned some of the staff changes already. Let's talk a little bit about some of the transitions that High Point has had in terms of staff in the last year. This year has been unique, but also kind of par for the course when it comes to High Point Church and staff transitions.
1: Yeah.
0: So for people who are keeping track at home, we could go through some of those just specific changes, but yeah. also discuss more generally the sort of reasoning behind it and where... What we're expecting in the coming year.
1: Yeah. So I want to say a little bit about things related to financial questions first about this. Um, First, we started this year doing something that we haven't done in my tenure here. We did it in the last church I was at, uh, partly at my instigation. But we've created some staff positions for people who hold them on a voluntary basis, meaning we don't compensate them financially. And so uh, Nate Wagner is probably the best example of this. He is right now our youth pastor. He has that staff position. And yet he's volunteering 16 to 20 hours a week doing it, but we're not paying him one penny, which allows us to afford Paxton Bauer to be in support of him. And also um, Terry, who is um, who's, who is like the admin support for youth. So we can keep both those people on staff while doing some other things. We are currently searching for a youth pastor, but to have Nathan basically cover a year um, as a volunteer youth pastor, especially somebody who who was a vocational youth pastor for years is an incredible thing um there are some other like smaller ministries though that we're going to be working on in which you'll see that somebody's a staff person and you might think why are we spending money on this well in some cases we're not what we have is somebody with skill and passion who's connected to our staff team who we know that we can lead and can do a great job and we've made them a staff member um to make more official the dynamic by which that's getting led even though they're not being paid anything for it and so we've got a couple people on staff and that may grow a little bit and usually these are like you know, they would, would be like five hour week kind of positions, but because we want that position, that ministry more formalized in terms of direction and structure. So we know what's going on. We make that person a staff member. So that's kind of an interesting thing. So you may see on our website, like more staff people than you would think we have. And partly it's that reason. Does that make sense? Now, secondly, I
0: I'm would gonna, be really surprised if they were able to do everything within five hours a week, just for the record.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For So for a lot of them, like it's a labor love or it's a ministry they want to start, you know, Anyway, so um, secondly, I want to say financially about a teach, high point has, has, we have tried to be what's called a teaching church, which is essentially you try to be like a model church and then you try to be a leadership surplus church where you produce more leadership than you need. And those people then go and they're committed to the local church and they go to other churches as they leave Madison. Cause most people don't stay in Madison more than five years. And so one of the ways to handle the fact that we're like preaching to a parade, people are coming and going so fast is we want to train people to be elders and leaders and good volunteers and even pastors or staff people, and so that they can then go somewhere else and serve, having had an experience in a in a pretty remarkable, hopefully, or pretty healthy church. And so, in order to do that, everybody on the staff has to essentially be able to do their job really well, work with other people really well um lead in a model kind of way. And so therefore be like a faculty member in this teaching church. Because of that, like we have to have like good staff members in almost every single role. And we want to be able to retain them over time. Because of that, that's just expensive. Um, you know, most sports teams, they they'll have a few franchise players and then they just need people who can just play roles. And it, we're going to be um like we're we're in a place right now where we have really good players in almost all of our key roles. Um, every, it seems like every year I'm like, this is the best the staff has ever been, you know? And,
0: and then 30% of it turns over.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, but a few of these, I think in a lot of these key roles now, we've got people who I think have the potential to stay for a good bit. I mean, Mike has been here for a while now. Nicole has been here for a while now. Um, the transition we're going to make with John Sekutowski, he's, he's getting an engineering job and the person that we are planning to hire in his place, I think will be a good And I think long-term person, part of this is really focusing on hiring Wisconsin natives. And I think that that's really important in Wisconsin because a lot of people want to go live somewhere else, especially if they're from somewhere else. But there's a lot of people in Wisconsin who have family here who love Wisconsin. They want to live here. And if you're that kind of person, you have that special kind of crazy then you're the kind of person we're looking for. So, Jared, for example, this is a, this is a guy we're hoping to hire in, in John's place. He's from Wisconsin. His wife is from Wisconsin. They lived in Florida for a while and um, now they're back. And so, we think they're going to want to live in Florida for a while. So, this is a, a good opportunity here, right? They're going to want
0: to live in Florida for a while? I'm sorry, they're going to live in
1: Wisconsin <laughs> for, for a while. As I'm I think, watching
0: the snowfall. I know, I know. Yeah. Um,
1: one of my kids still is like, when can we go home? To Florida. yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I feel like one of the things that the church has tolerated so far, and I, I I'm hoping that they'll have, they'll have a continued passion for it, is uh, we should have, is that the church has to give enough every year so that as a teaching church, we can actually pay fair salaries and compensation to really good staff people and to have f- like franchise level players in most positions. And that's really tough. I mean, every year when I sit down with that budget and I know how much I have have to cut that all up and try to keep the everybody we can and, and how I have to prioritize it. You know, it's, that's, it's one of the moments I least enjoy in the course of the year. Um, but it's still much more generous than most churches have to deal with. And so far it's been enough for most of the things we've done, but I just want to encourage you, like as you listen to this, as you give that, um, giving more allows us to just retain people that we couldn't otherwise. At some point, a lot of these men and women, but especially men, but women also just are like, look, my family's got to be able to buy a house in the city. And I just can't do that if I work here. Um, and so if we want to retain these staff, we just have to be able to pay them reasonably well. And they still make, I mean, I can't think of any staff member on our staff team that I'm not very confident could make more than double if they did other things. And I know, I know people on our staff team that have been offered more than double um, and have said, no, um, you usually not in church work, but like in, in like business work mm-hmm. and stuff. So um, just be, I just, I hope I want to hope people continue to be thankful for the people who serve here because most of them could do other things and, and, make plenty of money and have less responsibility and less heartache and Mm -hmm. but they care about god and his kingdom and and the gospel and they want to train people to do the ministry of the gospel so the best way you can say thanks is by being generous with them by being kind with them by being easy to be led um and then also to like respond to their teaching and leadership and you know Mm -hmm. so um okay so in terms of of things so we were able to hire an associate pastor to replace lloyd which Mm -hmm. is really important Mm devon white is in that position um there's a lot of cool things that we got because he um, is a PhD and he has a lot of biblical training. And to be a Bible-centered church, hiring somebody like that is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, his transition to be a pastor is going to take a few months, you know, but he'll be a quick learner. But I'm really glad to see that position filled. It, it was kind of nice that we could get somebody a, little, a generation younger than me on our staff team, which I think was good. Because Lloyd was about Mike's age. so Specifically
0: we, on the pastoral stuff. Yeah,
1: specifically Area. on the pastoral stuff. Yeah. So what we lost was the diversity that Lloyd brought. What we picked up was the age differential that Devin brings. And um, Devin is an academic in a way that Mike isn't. That I, I'm not even in a lot of ways in, in, in that, like, I just don't have time to devote to it and haven't for years, but he, it's been pretty recent for him. So, and then also in that same department, we were able to hire Jeff King part-time. Jeff is a retired pastor who is like a grandpa figure and he fills out our staff team in terms of temperament really well, we don't have a pastor that is, that's the funny thing. I mean, Mike jokes that like 75 or 85% of pastors are shepherds at heart rather than leaders. And the problem is, is that we have three leaders as our pastoral team Mm -hmm. and no shepherds. And so all of us want to shepherd the flock, but when we think of how it's like by leading really well and that's not how Jeff thinks about it. Right. Jeff thinks about it as like being there for that person in their time of being praying with them, giving them good counsel. Right. And Mike and I, and, and Devin all do that. Mm-hmm. But when you like, if you shake us and wake us up in the middle of the night and say, what's the most important thing to do as a pastor? Be like, Leave the church well, preach the gospel, you know, <laughs> and, Mike's like, and, and Jeff would be like, be there for people. Right. You know, and so I'm really excited to have him And the only re- reason we could do that is because of how generous people at the church have been. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that um, Jeff will, make a real meaningful difference, not Mm -hmm. just in like helping people who are older, not grow disgruntled, which will happen, which is helpful because you want older people to know that they matter, you know, but also I think he'll help us find straying sheep and help people who are new Mm -hmm. figure things out. And also I think it'll give Devin some confident confidantship with a seasoned pastor that will help him. It'll also help Devin do his job because his job is to um, care for the whole congregation and to have somebody like Jeff who can do some of that, the individual work of that and
0: report back to him is going to be, I think, just invaluable. So in what kind of situations should people expect to see Jeff?
1: Um, a reasonable amount of right. hospital visits are going to be Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the first visit after a death will be Jeff a reasonable amount of time. That doesn't mean he's, the only, he's going to be doing all the funerals. It just means like that first visit um, will, will often be him. Um, some visits for like just the sick. Visiting people who can't get to church, as long as he's healthy, um, he, he's old. He's 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 old enough to have all the vaccines and boosters. I think you know. <laughs> so like sending him to visit older people, I think, are helpful. Is helpful. Um, but I mean, his job is just to do like fifteen or twenty pastoral visits a week. Mm-hmm. You, know? you know, sometimes phone calls, but just kind of check up with people. A level of personal contact that we just that Devin, Mike, and I just can't keep up with. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, so like. If you need a pastoral touch, it might be, it might Mm -hmm. be Jeff.
0: Yeah. Just trying to, I'm thinking back in 2021. I also remember we had Chris in as our interim and he did a lot of work in the congregational care and making sure that we were checking up on people throughout COVID and everything like that. Um,
1: Yeah. And we're always working to get elders more involved mm -hmm. in caring for the congregation as spiritual leaders because they are the pastors of the church according to the Bible you know one of the things that we're working on in one of the with like staff elder committees like in leadership over here on the on the side here is um, changing the bylaws so that we can have a council of elders and a board of elders so that people who have been elders or who are qualified to be elders can be voted onto the Council of elders, which isn't the governing board of the church. It's just the group of people who pastorally care for the church. And then from that council of elders we would elect a board of elders which is like what we have right now, which would govern the affairs of the church, it would be just exactly like it is right now. But instead of it being just elected directly from the congregation, we would elect it from the council of elders, which we elect directly from the congregation. Mm-hmm. So it would put what it would do is it would create a larger body of shepherds right. without making the governing body of the church that the board of elders we call it, like too big you don't want the you don't want the governing board of the church to be 35 people right.
0: 35 the, people taking a vote on a budget and right. discussing all the amendments and
1: yeah but having a a council of people who pastor and care for people that's 35 people would be fantastic right right so we're, we're kind of figuring out how to how that would be best structured as the church grows and then and then how we can present that to the congregation in a way that they'd see it as helpful
0: mm-hmm. um
1: and that's an area where devin and then Jeff will have a lot of leadership.
0: Right. One of the other transitions, um, Kelly Shear, who's been serving as office administrator for some years now, has been doing a fantastic job. She's, as you mentioned on um, Sunday recently, she's moving on to another job. So we are hiring for that position. So there's a plug um, if that's of interest to you.
1: Yeah. It's a super administrative job. There is some personal interface with human beings, but a lot of it's like scheduling and like, it's a lot of detail management.
0: Right. It's a lot of scheduling rooms in the church mm-hmm. and managing the front desk and yeah. ordering supplies and...
1: Yeah. It's it's a lot of diligence and, and organization. So if you're a highly diligent, highly organized person, man, we'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Or if you know the right person for that job, we'd love to talk with them. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's one of those deals where like, it's not a super high paid job, it's not like when we think about a lot, if you go to church, you might never think about the person in that role. But if you have a room that's set up when you get there, she has done something. Mm-hmm. She scheduled that room. She put in the order for the room set up. So volunteers or staff people could go in there and make sure it was set up properly. And so it's a really, it's actually a really integral position. She's She also interfaces with anybody outside the church. We let use the church. Mm-hmm. She ends up interfacing with a lot of those people, setting up, getting our weddings. If you have like a kid or something, you know, that's having their wedding here. Like she interfaces with them. The so there's re- a lot.
0: Receives a lot of phone calls. If people yes. call in wanting to speak to a pastor or mm-hmm. calling in with a prayer request, she um, handles a lot of those calls too. Yeah. Really yeah. important job. So important. Yeah.
1: I mean, we try to make it so that everybody who has a staff position is doing something we can't live without, but that is a, just a really important job. Yeah.
0: Um, zooming out a little more, big picture. Uh, as COVID began to really loom large in our consciousness, a year and a half ago, you exhorted us that it would take a lot from us, but but that we should be prepared to take something from it as well. Um, With the looking back over this period and looking ahead to an unknown number of months that will continue to be affected by COVID in unpredictable ways, do you have any more insight about what it is that we should be taking from it?
1: I mean, in some ways, I still believe what I said we should take from it Mm -hmm. 18 months ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like um, one of my friends, Father Gregory Jensen, who's a a Orthodox priest in town, says people don't like facing mortality, either their mortality or the mortality of others. And um, we have to realize as Christians that human life is always and always has been tragic and dangerous, and it's going to continue to be for anybody who belongs to Jesus for the foreseeable future and for most people, no matter what. And I think that that's really important. You need you need to wake up and say, you know, thank you for God, for giving me one more day. When your family gets together for dinner, like the DeYoung said in one of our podcasts, you know, you should say, God, thank you for letting us be together one one more time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, then you don't you're not angry at God when you're not together, and you can be thankful every time you're together. And I, that kind of sobri- sobriety and humility is something that we can take from our world being turned upside down. Right? We we never deserved stability, and it it's less common in human existence than chaos right the second thing i said was um it should make us sensible to um the shallow vanity of our diversions right pascal said that men spend much of their time following the ball or the hair like meaning like dog races or gambling and like in your
0: notes you wrote h-a-i-r and i was a little confused hair like h a r e like the animal like
1: the animal okay yeah. that makes
0: yeah. more sense <laughs>
1: <laughs> right and so um yeah though i think you could say that people are pretty vainly obsessed with their hair in I our mean, culture that's like true, stuff on the but- um but i i think that like w- when you're like it's turned upside down you have to decide like what were uh, what were your vanities and what is important and i think that that covid has been an opportunity for that right and and i i think it's still that that's still true I think that like loving your neighbor and loving those God has put around you and like focusing on some of these, I think COVID has been really emotionally negative and really relationally negative. Um, we, most people have seen some research recently about loneliness being higher and um, crime being up. I think part of the crime thing is police pulling back after their vilification following George Floyd's death and people kind of flailing about for better policing, but not really understanding what they were talking about. I, I I suppose that's probably controversial for some, but I think it's a fact. And the, the like, what's happened is you've gotten more crime. But I also think that like the relational disconnection and the way life is right now has also fed into people getting into more trouble, especially younger men. And so there's loneliness, there's people getting into more trouble, there's people turning to opioids and other drugs.
0: I mean, um, the, the toll of idleness for mm-hmm. people who had to be out of work or... Yeah.
1: I mean, there's a reason why people have said for generations that idleness is the devil's workshop. Mm -hmm. It's because it is. So, um, so I I think that understanding like what's vanity then when what's worthwhile and that, like, even if you're, I mean, um, Keller, Tim Keller said one time, something like um, sloth and unemployment are not the same thing.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Right. I mean, this is something your husband, like, because he had to wait for his green card for so long struggled with, like, you can't have a remunerated job.
0: But you've got to have human dignity. Sloth, sloth, (laughs) right?
1: So what do you do? You know, and I think one of the things that we should we need to recognize as people is that like what work is, is anything we do that is taking dominion or engaging the creation mandate. Any any work of love counts, and so that's what we're here to do. And if you if you focus your life on those things, then there's always something to do. You know. Um even if that's something to do is rest, right? So I I also said um, that Christ's greatest gift is freedom from the fear of death. So I really feel like some people have, some Christians have said about other Christians who are being very careful that they're acting out of fear. And I always wanna push them on that a little bit and say, okay, wait, what, what kind of fear? Like, what do you mean? Do you mean that they are not experiencing fear liberation from the fear of death and they're behaving as other people who will die and just rot in the grave. And so therefore they're p- pulling back from their moral responsibilities and not acting justly because they fear death. Because that would be a sub-Christian way to live and believe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or are you saying that they're afraid they're going to get the disease, so they're taking a lot of precautions, but they are fulfilling their just deserts towards other people. And so that's within the legitimate prudential choices of Christian conscience and that we just disagree on what the best thing to do is. Mm-hmm. So I feel like for some people, they've just been trying to be really prudent and they want the church to have a good name and for Jesus to have a good name. And so they've like gotten all the vaccines and they've you know, stayed isolated when they were supposed to and they've worn masks very diligently and so on, right? And I think that those people are well within the realm of Christian prudence and maybe they're right in acting better than other people. I do think, although there are some people that seem to be behaving in, you in know, a, in a, in a, by means of an irrational fear, just as I think there are some people who are acting with a, what I would consider an irrational confidence, as though God has said, you won't die of a communicable disease if you trust me. You know what I mean? Um, th- people for all of the existence of the church have caught diseases and died at, you know, from people at church. I mean, it's, it's not like God says you won't ever get a disease if you go to church, right? So so some people you know, who show up to church who are very ill or who are just won't get the vaccine or um, they are immunocompromised in certain ways. And they're just like, look, I'm not going to live in fear. I, I mean, I think that could be, a, I don't think that's unfaithful. I do think it can lack some prudence and maybe not be good stewardship over your life, you know? Um, but I think that some people have also gone the other way and, and actually behaved in a kind of irrational fear and believed people more who said things were worse because of of what they thought, um, or that they behaved in certain ways, not really because they were trying to love their neighbor, but because they feared their neighbor.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: they didn't want anybody to think that they were bad, and they actually confused man pleasing with behaving in a way so that what you believe is true won't be spoken of it as evil, like it says in Romans fourteen. Um, and so I think there are ways in which we need to recognize that Jesus is supposed to deliver us from a bunch of different fears, mainly the fear of death and in delivering us from the fear of death, the fear of man. So, and that, but that doesn't mean so that we can like do whatever we want, but so that we can just focus on what does it mean to love our neighbor? And for some Christians, it will be a more conservative approach like disease wise. And for some, it will be less of one trying to give witness to the culture that they are overdoing it in their, because they're not free from the fear of death and they may be acting irrationally. And some Christians have said, I should behave less restrictively as a witness to the culture that they're overdoing it, which I think is a very legitimate thing to believe. It's actually, I believe that more than the alternative personally, but I also think that there is a fulfilling of all righteousness that we should engage in as well. So, um, I think, if, I think when Christians let go of the fear of death and let go of the fear of man, then they can focus on these prudential questions. They can, A, pick what the right thing to do is, and B, go to church with people who think otherwise. And I've actually seen a lot of that at High Point. There's been a lot of people who come to High Point who aren't wearing masks because they think that it's wrong at this point to still restrict people in that way and to act as though masks do anything substantial and that they think that it's a, it's a signal that they, that they shouldn't participate in. I'm not saying that's correct, but and they're coming in, they're worshiping next to people who are wearing masks very carefully, and they think that fulfilling all righteousness in the eyes of the world is important and that it's best to give the government the benefit of the doubt, even though they're using an emergency power and they don't think it's an emergency. They don't even maybe think that if they were in charge, they would say to wear masks, but they still think we should. And, and you've got these people worshiping together, recognizing that both people are functioning as prudentially as they can understand, given the information that they have relative to the questions that are relevant based on what they know about God. And they go, I disagree with you clearly because we're acting differently, but we're worshiping God together. And I I think that in most cases at High Point, there's been a high level of maturity between people relative to that. And then there's been some folks that have really struggled with people who believe other than they do.
0: Mm -hmm. You also,
1: yeah, go ahead. So, So the fourth thing I said in that sermon was every context is a good one to find the courage to love. You just have to figure out what that is right now. And I I just Mm -hmm. talked about that some relative to like how you respond publicly to COVID Mm -hmm. stuff. But I think it's also like just figuring out how to love your neighbor, how to, um, I I think one of the areas that I think has been really good is I've seen a lot of ways in which people have figured out how to love their neighbor in this time, Mm -hmm. both inside the church and out. I think one of the areas where I think we could do better, and I think I'd love to see people pray about this and like talk about their small groups and really endeavor is I just, I don't think we have gotten over the re, the relational, natural relational divide that the dynamics of COVID has created. I do see fewer people coming to faith, fewer people visiting the church um, because they were invited by others. Mm-hmm. We've seen more people visit the church because they're just circulating between churches because this is a good time to have an excuse to leave your church. Um, Or some people have come back to church because COVID has just kind of prompted that. I don't think we're seeing as many people come to church and become believers because we are bridging the gaps and having spiritual conversations, inviting people to stuff and creating those spiritual opportunities. And I'd love to see people figure out how to do that
0: more. Do you think that um, is more to do with the physical... Discomfort of like it's just hard to get in other people's spaces with COVID and like really mm-hmm. like give someone a ride in your car yeah. and like invite them over for dinner and do those sort of like spatial like mm-hmm. hands-on hospitality things? Or do you think it's more to do with the sort of ideological divides, the hostility, mm-hmm. the like bad feelings, the suspicion, the fear that we have relationally?
1: Yeah, so, so- I, I think that... Um, I, th- I think the answer is yes to all those things. However, I would say this. I think over the last 18 months, it has moved without us necessarily. So I think early on, it was like people really were uncomfortable coming to your house and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think now we're just in a rut. We're in an antisocial rut. Mm-hmm. And I think that people are open to coming to your house and riding the car with you and all that kind of stuff. And um, I don't think most people are really terrified of like the Omicron strain mm-hmm. with its... Even much diminished death levels from the last versions, you know. So, and and the vaccines seem to be still reasonably good at keeping people out of the hospital if they get the disease. I mean, I just we're just in a different place than we were eighteen months ago. Mm -hmm. It's not the same we were twenty five months ago, Mm -hmm. but it's much different than eighteen months ago. And so, I think I think it's seventy percent rut now that we're just in a rut of being more antisocial. And I think if you would go back twelve months it would have been 70, 30, the other way. So it was 70%. Like people really were concerned about getting together. And I think it's flipped now. So I think trying to say, how do I, how do I reassert some of these relationships? How do I get in people's lives? How do I invite people to things? Um, I think is bigger. And I, I don't, I, I, my, my encouragement would be like, don't, don't wait the winter out. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, well, in the spring, things will open up. I wouldn't do that. I would say God. So like, for example, I, I've been having some personal retreat time over the last couple of days, some like think and prayer time. And one of the things I did was I went through the last two years and I tried to come up with every name of an evangelistic relationship. And like anybody I knew spent time with, had shared interests with, where I did some things with them where I, I knew they weren't a believer. And because I was like, I just don't feel like I've been doing evangelism. Mm-hmm. But what I found out was like, I came up with a list of like 24 people. Mm-hmm. so there's plenty of people I'm connected to where if I said hey can we get together they probably would I've got a, pl- a plenty of list and most of those people I connected with for something I like doing um, so some of them are like there's one guy I just picked up as a stray on the dock fishing like he was just like in his car fishing from shore at like Mendota and I was like dude why don't you just come out in the boat with us and we've got two fishermen we've got plenty of room for three fishermen in the boat he was like dude that sounds great I was like well, get on board and so we just went fishing I got his number we went fishing a couple of times he told me he had this like walleye hotspot. We went. We hardly caught anything. He's like, I got like eight walleyes in my garage. If you want a couple to take home to eat, <laughs> like went over his house. He's got this like big plastic tote like you would have in your basement, and he's got like it's like a live well. He's got walleye. He's caught like the last few nights. He's like gives me these walleyes to take home. We just had a really fun time. He taught us how to fish Devils Lake for trout. So like, and he's just really excited about fishing and talking. And he plays he plays a certain kind of video game thing. And he and Jude talked about like what kind of server he used and blah 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 blah. But like, just open guy. Um, and he, I mean, I probably invite him fishing any day and he would say yes, you know? And so I was just like, you know, I need to, I need to connect with that guy. And there's this African-American guy that you and I sat next to fishing in, in Winneka park, like in the spring, I got his number. So we go fishing the boat. Um, you know, and then the, so I, like, I've got this list, like, you know, I need to just reconnect with these guys over our connections. And I just, I just need to keep moving these friendships forward and I just need to be there ready to honestly speak about Jesus in a way I'm not hiding him and I'm not pushing him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He's just part of my life and who I am.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so that's the so one of the things I'm doing is like, I need to do this myself as a pastor. I can't say, well, I'm so busy leading this church and loving my family that I don't have time to do evangelism. I need to teach my kids how to do evangelism. I need to use my own house for hospitality I need to work in that direction. So I'm going to try to do more of that this year and I'm not going to wait till the winter's over. And I just would encourage everybody who's listening There is a way to do relational yet explicit evangelism by being yourself and showing human interest in other people in which it's 100% normal and yet a supernatural battle to lead people to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of have to find that sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And for, for some people... And the, the, the gift set you use, so so I would say this, evangelist is an office in Ephesians 4. Mm-hmm. I think you could say evangelism is a gift in a way, but what I generally think is, is that evangelism is a duty for every Christian. We are to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, there are some people who have the office of evangelist where these people specifically train us and help us to do it, but it's still our job. And then there are sets of gifts that are cognate to evangelism is you can use that gift to do evangelism. Like if you have a prophetic gift and you use that with a non-believer and like God supernaturally helps you see something about them that might lead to help lead them to Christ. Mm-hmm. Or if you use your gift of hospitality, to create a warm loving place where there's real peace for somebody to enter into and interact with you. You're using your gift of hospitality to do the work of evangelism. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why I don't think thinking of evangelism as a gift is very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, So there are some people who are gifted at it, but what I think that usually means is they have other gifts that make them good at it. Like if you are gifted in speed, that's likely to make you a better soccer player. Sure, but it does. But it's not soccer. Does that make sense? Soccer is a mix of physical abilities that you put together for particular tasks. So you're not really gifted at soccer. You're gifted at something that makes you better at soccer. And And you have to work
0: really hard at all the other skills that go along with it. Right.
1: So you become a better soccer player. And similarly, like you and I have gifts. We can both do evangelism. What it would look like, what it looks like for you and I is probably different. Right. Because you have different gifts than I do. And I have different gifts than you. Does that make sense? And so what I would encourage people is don't think of evangelism as a gift. Think of it as a duty. We're all called to do it. But do it with your gifts and by means of the natural relationships dynamics that are available around you. Does that mm-hmm. make sense?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other things that encourage you as you look back um, on the life of High Point in the past year?
1: Um, and there's a number of things. I think that um, seeing the church maintain its relative unity in a time where there was a lot of political division. Uh, there was a lot of political division over the election. There was a lot of political division over police justice and racial justice. There was a lot of political division over COVID and there will be more to come. And I feel like the church has done a pretty good job of talking about these things and not dividing over them. Now that hasn't been total. Like when Marcus Allen came to preach in April, um, we had a number of people say, Oh, I didn't realize you are going to be a woke social justice church and just left. And okay, here's here's one of the things I, I know we're supposed to be talking about good things. Here's one of the things that most grieved, grieved me about last year. Mm-hmm. There were people who sent Marcus Allen hate emails directly to his church's email,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how embarrassed I am. That and I don't think it. I mean, I don't think it's mostly it was. I don't. I suspect that none of them came from our membership. I mean, I'm sure they came from like people who were just watching online somewhere and they just decided to give him a piece of their mind. And, um, if you're, if you did that and you're listening to this, you need to write a incredibly kind apology that is, um, sprinkled with the sackcloth and ashes of your repentance. And you need to send that to Marcus and beg for his forgiveness. Um, but, I, but, I, but he, he was like, you know, just like some things he said were kind of to the left of where I am, you know, and, and I think that I think people know people knew that if they knew who I was. Um, but I think that he was a pastor and he did his job from his perspective. That's why you have guests, you know, and he's a brother in the faith and he stands for the gospel and like he's been pressured to take non-biblical views and he has refused. And so like this is a guy we need to stand with not vilify, even because his politics are slightly to our left, right? Even though we wouldn't vilify people, some of us who have politics significantly to our right, you know, like, so, but I do, but I do think for the most part, um, people were like, people who didn't, there were some people who didn't like what Marcus said and they were like, okay, I need to consider this. And there are some people who are, and they thought it was great. And like, that was good. And so I, I am encouraged that the core of our church, the heart of our church is mature enough to handle some of these things. And that really encourages me. Because there's a lot of churches that are not mm-hmm. and people that are not. So I think that's really good. I think that um, I've been really proud of our staff, our elders, and our volunteers. Um, I, I know we've struggled sometimes to have enough volunteers for certain things, but not that much. And I know a lot of churches who are like, look, people have started coming back to church, but volunteers have not started volunteering again. And so we don't know what to do. We can't do any ministries for them because nobody will serve. And we just really haven't had that problem. Um, I, I, again, I think the big heroes here are uh, small group leaders. But only slightly less than that, I would say, are children's ministry people. Mm -hmm. And then probably worship folks, I think, are probably the next biggest commitment. Right. So, and then obviously um, Ben Yark and like a number of the people, like the additional people who have come into tech, half of the DeYoung family. um, (laughs) And obviously John has been working in this area, but a number of people. Uh, Rachel, whose last name I can't remember right now. There's a number of volunteers in tech who've really made a big step up. And it's been so encouraging. Like I, I know churches that like pastors who like basically got burned out in the first month of COVID because they were trying to figure out how to do live streaming and not close their church yeah. entirely. And I literally didn't lift a finger. Mm-hmm. Like we like we had to shut down the church. Nicole's like, yeah, there's a guy who knows how to do this. I'm going to talk with him. And he, Nicole and Ben worked it out. We were like, I was like, just tell me how much money you need and I'll give it to you. And they bought whatever they needed and we were ready to run the first Sunday. And um, it was unbelievable to see our tech team do that when we don't have I mean most churches our size have somebody hired in the tech area for like a, 10 hours or so just they're here for services they lead the tech team we don't have that Nicole just kind of does it on the side because we have such good volunteers who have who are so committed um, that we don't need it um, I think of Matt Grewitt, I think of man who there's, a, there's who am I missing I can see his face glad he's got glasses there's a couple guys like Tim Keener and oh man i'm sorry he, i know he doesn't listen to this but like i still <laughs> in my head i'm like oh there's this there's like a middle-aged guy who like since before i came here he's like served every single week mm-hmm. and he's done it for the whole 11 years i've been here and for some reason i'm blanking on his name right now but he's i mean he, because of guys like that that it just works so um that's been really encouraging um we we've seen a couple like really great answers to prayer like evan degler um the doctor said he had a tumor in his spine yeah. and they said it was very dangerous. He could die. And then we prayed as a church and then he went in and it was like a, like a ball of like, it was like a vascular ball or something like that. It wasn't a tumor at all. They said they were going to have to fuse his, fuse vertebrae in his neck. They, I mean, they were really afraid. Like, well, the reason we prayed for him is that, that they made Devin very afraid by telling him what could happen. Mm-hmm. And um, he had death looming over his head for months. And and then to go in after we prayed and they'd be like, well, I guess it wasn't a tumor. And I mean, like, you, like sometimes I call that a shy miracle. <laughs> right. We're like, God wants to take care of his children, but he doesn't really want it to be a big thing where like, it, like you could say, oh, that's a miracle. Um, but I think God, I mean, I I, I take just on faith. I, I can't prove it. So I'm not saying this is scientific. I'm just saying I can't prove it. But I, what I do know is that the doctors used all of their tools and they determined it was a tumor and then they went in there and it was not. I take that to be a miracle
0: Mm -hmm.
1: especially because the outcomes were so different right it turned into a very minor surgery and none of the bad outcomes that were supposed to happen happened i take that as a miracle and that 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 honestly builds my faith and then um right after that that got some other people to ask for prayer one guy called me and he said he'd been to the doctor and his liver numbers were up like super high and his doctor was like this indicates like something really chronic or fatal like this is bad we need to get more tests right away right and so he called me this guy i mean this guy was like really like I mean, he wasn't in tears but he was close and he and i prayed from over the phone i just was like hey um lord we pray that you'd heal and i mean i didn't pray for 27 minutes i didn't call the name of jesus 100 different ways it wasn't an incantation it was just a prayer i just asked god to heal him he went back to his doctor the next week and his liver numbers were down a 100 points oh, which god. his doctor said were like was like unheard of like he's like i can't tell you anytime in my Life as a doctor, this has ever happened, and he's the the guy's like. I mean, he did nothing over that week other than get prayed for, and like this was the difference between the doctor saying you could be dying to like, well, I guess we'll keep an eye on it. You come back in six months. So I mean, just like to see people asking God to act, the living God to believe He's there, to believe He actually would act in real time and space. It doesn't mean He's going to heal us every time we ask Him, but like just I, I just I think of the verse in James where James says, "There's things you don't have because you don't ask for them, and when you do ask, you ask with terrible motives." And I'm like, well, I think what that means is God wants us to ask and to try to ask with not terrible motives. Mm-hmm. So that if God gives us more life, like it gives Evan more life, that he'll use it to serve God instead of just be selfish with it, which I think is Evan's intention, mm-hmm. you know? So though, like whenever God does something like that, that feels like he's done miraculous healing, that's always amazing. And it's always feels good because you're kind of like, okay. And, and one of the things I've noticed at High Point Church is this, so this is, pro- I've probably seen... Ten or twelve of these, like it's you know, it ranges, but it's about one a year that I get directly connected to. I never pray in a way that's stereotypical of healers. It's always like I touch their arm, I say, "God, please heal so and so. Please heal your beloved child. We love you, and um, we trust in your will." And I and I don't I don't like say, I don't pretend that he, God has to heal to be good, and I don't pretend that I don't expect Him to heal because His will be done. You know, whatever. And I just pray for what we're asking for. And it, like, I don't think it makes any difference. I mean, maybe it does, but I don't mm-hmm. think it should. And we just see people say, oh, I'm better. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so um, I hope our church does more of that without um, becoming obsessed with it, mm-hmm. you know, to just receive God's gracious gifts. So that was, that's been big for me. Um, I, I've seeing the church. Like what we said during COVID, we're going to give this money, any money above what you give for the budget, we're just going to give away. And we're going to give away to other churches mostly. And we're going to give away to people in need. And we're going to give away mostly to minority, majority churches who will have different politics than you, a lot of them. And then we're also going to do it. Uh, yeah. And so, so, and when we did that, people just gave more and more and more money, which was so amazing. And so the result of that, which was so encouraging was one, it helped the churches, right? Like literally people who needed help got help. We also did stuff that rebuilt churches, like putting the roof on, um, SS Morris church, right? We, we weren't the only church that gave that. We give very substantial amount to it. Um, and what that did was it helped people directly. It also massively encouraged these pastors, massively encouraged them. Right. And then third, it actually built relationships of trust that are ongoing, so, um, there's a couple of these churches, like we've helped three or four different times at different moments. And Mike is trying really hard to make sure that like, this doesn't become like a dynamic dependency, but they've been, he's been trying to make sure that like, we are trying to help people get through this. Right. And, and frankly, for some of these, like one of these, one of these brothers, we've given him about $2,000 every three months, but he's doubling his church's worship space and like their church is growing. Listen, I'll give a church two thousand dollars every few months if they're literally growing the church like that's cheap that's really cheap i mean so i like i'm fine with that even if it was endemic so anyway um so there's there's a number of relationships like that i think have been really good and so it's built trust it's helped real people it's encouraged these pastors you get like like we god is working multiple angles as we work as we do the right thing i think so that's been really neat to see
0: Mm -hmm. um did you have more you wanted to go through it
1: I th- some of it too is just like, I've seen people grow in sanctification. Right. I've seen some people really battle their hidden faults and their personal demons. People like commit to doing the work their counselors gave them, but doing them in faith and doing it theologically with the strength, of, with the power of the gospel, not just with like neurological hacks given to them by secular psychologists. You know, like they're, they're really integrating their faith with the wounds that they've received and utilizing psychological knowledge with the spiritual discipline to engage in, the healing of their soul with the work of the spirit like all that together and it's producing real fruit in their marriages and their parenting and their personal life and their ability to not have panic attacks and so on so that when, whenever i see people take courage and seek to face things that are painful like that so that they can live differently it's it's i mean that's one of the most encouraging things there is for me mm-hmm. so I, i've seen a good bit of that over mm-hmm. the past couple of years just just one guy. I mean, it's just a recent story. There was a guy who's just kind of like he literally couldn't function at work because of just the trauma of his his childhood. And I've I have met with him. You know, there's this rule that Andy Stanley gives: do for some what do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. So like I'll have one or two ongoing counseling relationships, but I I don't have that with almost anybody. And so this particular gentleman, I chose to do that with, and he's seen other counselors and been working for two years, and he's like stable he's doing his job fine. He's ready to move on with his life. And so he's like, it's time for me to apply to this, my dream job and to go the direction I think my life was meant to go. And he's like, I just, I, I just, I'm not filling out the application. Right. And I was like, okay, well, and so we'd sat in my basement and I, I wrote three text messages. Are you 30% done? Are you 60% done? Are you 90% done? And then I set the times when they should all be sent to him. I was like, look, and if this isn't done, and then we decided like how many hours he was going to have to do manual labor at my house if he didn't get it done. <laughs> and so like, I just sent him the third text, you know, yesterday or something like that. And he's like, like, are you 60% done? And he's like, I'm, I'm almost 90% done. And so he's like, you know, and, and this guy, he has suffered so much in trying to be healed and he's made so much progress and he, he's not there. I mean, he, he would tell you like, oh, listen, I'm not there, but he is, he is doing the things and getting to real progress by trusting God mm-hmm. and by doing what we know from natural theology and from studying creation can help too. Mm-hmm. And whenever I see that, I just like, I see it's when people make sacrifices to obey Jesus and then they find joy in doing it. It's really encouraging.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about some of the like church relationships that we have in the city. Um, mm-hmm. High point is also engaged in a lot of small and sort of large-scale ministries, some of which are really well-known to a lot of people at High Point, like the High Point Christian School and ICS. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably some other things that are less well-known. Can you give us sort of an update on where those things are at or how they've evolved in the last year, where they're headed?
1: Yeah. So in a sense, there's like three major ways we try to be a church that's part of something bigger, right? The first is as a teaching church. We want to be a leadership surplus church here. So that's like internships, Really good volunteer trainings, things like Engage and Equip Live. Um, we do like an elder training cohort where we try to take about sixteen people through a year-long process to train them to be elders. People who are already profound, vibrant, volunteering, loving Christian disciples, and then we train them to be practical pastors—that is, elders in the local church. And it's usually it's usually husbands and their wives, or men and their fiancés, but we have single people go through too sometimes. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's a way where we can train hundreds of elders over the course of just a few years um, to be going out to churches all over the country and world. And it's, it's really important. So one way we're part of something bigger is we want to be a leadership surplus church here, right? So uh, secondly, what we, we have, we've tried to participate in building institutions that provide discipleship by means of Christian education. And there's, two, there's a few main reasons why we want to do that. We do think schooling can be an incredible means of Christian discipleship. I think Christian schooling can be a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. I think teachers are massively undertrained, but I don't think that that's a reason not to believe in Christian schooling. I think that's a reason to try to train t- teachers better. Um, so one of the ways we're doing this through ICS Impact Christian Schools is we've teamed up with Lighthouse Christian School, Abundant Life Christian School, and High Point to create ICS to help support Christian schooling regionally. That is in Madison, in places like Mount Horeb, all the way out to Baraboo and some other places. We've had people even further away contact us for that help. Um, It does three things. One is it it provides Christian education. Secondly, it helps minority Christian leaders participate in trying to heal some of the problems minorities are finding with our public school system. So it allows us to set up a school however they want to set it up and to try to bridge some of these equity gaps, so to speak, in education. And then thirdly, the goal is to have a minority majority church or a local church planted in the school, preferably for them to own the building so that these church- churches that wouldn't otherwise own these facilities are able to own them by means of having a school. And these are the, the, our target is always for these to be minority churches um which really struggle to own their own buildings and so uh, the, the goal is to build minority churches so that they can own their own buildings so that they can, they can be part of closing education gaps for people of their ethnicities that they're particularly advocating for publicly and so as to create a schooling in which it fosters those three things and allows for christian discipleship to happen during the school day for these kids through competent christian teachers it's like you're killing a lot of birds with a couple of stones and so ics has really cool potential there and. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's some, but but that's something we're kind of like we're just kind of pollinating it. We're just like giving it, we're watering it a little bit, but we're not exerting all the force to make it happen. Um, and then the third thing I would say is trying to engage in expansion of Christian ministries. So that is either to partner with ministries we think are growing for the right reasons and helping them grow even more, even faster. That would be like the Faith Place or Living Springs Church or something like that. Most of these are minority led churches, but we're but we, we would do that with white majority churches. If we like saw the right one and we, we felt like, so one way we supported a white majority church was, um, uh, gateway church during COVID was having trouble meeting together. They couldn't all meet together in their building cause it was too small, but in our building, their whole church could come here and meet. So they had worship services here all of last winter so that their whole church could get together and they could have more momentum as a church and grow. That was one way we tried to support and partner with that church. It was predominantly a white church. Um, but our, our goal here is to identify churches that are already growing naturally, Rather than try to prop up churches that are coming apart and hope that they turn around, we look for places where good work is happening and then we try to foster that work. Does that make sense? And then the other part of increasing discipleship ministries in the region is for us as High Point Church to engage in expansion of ministries. Um, right now, what that looks like most probably is either um, creating micro-communities in regional areas where we already have small groups. So like, like 30-person worship services in people's houses. Where they're watching virtually and in stow in, you know, and they're basically having a a three times the size of a normal small group. It's kind of like a it's it's a worship gathering. Mm-hmm. Maybe they eat a meal together. In England, um, associated with Holy Trinity Brompton Church, these were called pastorates. They were like you'd have an elder there, you would have a group of people, you would have the worship service. And what we do is we find out like where can we get thirty or forty people together, mm-hmm. and then those are places where we would consider putting a church. That we could get to 150 people or something like that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Um, we we've also been looking for just like really good opportunities, opportunistically. So last week I went and looked at a building in Lodi. Right as you come into Lodi from Madison, there's an elementary school there that's for sale that hasn't been used for a few years, and it's like 40,000 square feet. It needs a lot of work, um, but it's also an incredible space. And so we ha- we've been meeting with a pastor up there who like um, is, it has, is like, uh, leading a church part-time who's pretty competent. His family's getting more connected in that Lodi area. We think there's a real possibility that he could be a a really prevailing church pastor in that, in that region. We have a lot of people from those zip codes at High Point Church already. Mm -hmm. We think we can make a worship experience, uh, like a worship hub in that building that where you would get, you would like it as much as coming here. We think that's possible. And so, um, we're considering like, well, what would it be like if we bought that building? and what Would we put a school there? Would we put a daycare center there? Would we have like an after school thing for kids in Lodi, like a regional youth ministry kind of thing there? Like what are the possibilities? What are the personnel like? What would it look like to to make a jump there? And, you know, if we got that building for the right price, and we had a vision for it. There's, there, I mean, it's unbelievable the kind of ministry we could do there. And Lodi is growing relatively quickly. It's about a 21 minute drive from here, mm-hmm. um, from the west side, northwest side, and so it's a good bedroom community. Relative, especially if you work on the west side, it's 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 about the same drive as if you're living on the east side of Madison, mm-hmm. right? But it's cheaper. You get more house for your money. The taxes are lower. The school system is less radicalized. There's a bunch of things like that. So getting in there, because I mean, Lodi I think is about 3,500 people right now but I think it's going to be 10,000 in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so getting an incredible building right as you come into town that is capable of being a church of 500, but you could easily kind of get going as a church of 60 uh, is an incredible opportunity. And so, you know, when Mike and I are looking for these kind of opportunistic things where we could expand Does that make sense. Mm-hmm. So my hope is, is that in the next couple of years. Um, so th- that's one of the reasons why I've, I've been encouraging the elders and the, the elders have, um, have agreed and not agreed at the same time. So, like, we just, we need to build kind of a war chest of money. We need to have three, four $400,000, like, on hand so we can make a down payment easily on a building like this. Um, because if buildings come available in places like Sun Prairie and Wanakee and Stoughton and Lodi and Mazomanie, well, not Mazo, probably probably more Prairie du Sac, Sock City, mm-hmm. those are places where I think we could put campuses and the sort of people we reach, we've reached the high point, I think we'll be in an abundance in those kinds of places and we could have really prevailing semi-rural suburban churches, like not really suburban churches, but not really rural churches either. Mm -hmm. I think that's us, a place ministry-wise where we could really excel. And a lot of these younger couples we see in Madison that would like to stay but can't afford to stay, A reasonable number of them are buying houses in these places. Mm -hmm. And so I think the likelihood that some people will come to Madison and then they'll leave for those places could be pretty good. And then we'd have this like pipeline by which we could be building these churches with these vibrant families. Because a lot of these are people who want to have families. They're like married couples. They want to have children. So they want to have a house that's more than 10,000 or 10,000, a thousand square feet. You know what I mean? And, And they want to live in these places. They're okay with driving. But they're not going to want to drive all the way here for church if they can help it. And they mm-hmm. want to be rooted in their community. So I think High Point really needs to consider expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would, listen, I would love to expand downtown and get a space downtown and have a downtown campus. That would be amazing. Um, but that's part of the whole deal. We have to be opportunists. We have to look at what God is doing and try to figure out reading the providences. And that may put off expansion here at this campus, maybe indefinitely. I don't know. I would I would love to not have to expand this campus if we could create more regional campuses that could become independent churches, I think in the long run, that's probably healthier Mm -hmm. for the church. So those are some of the things that we're working on right now. Mm -hmm. So I just want to encourage people just like uh, the more you give, um, we don't buy opera, opera tickets for our staff. Like this money goes into these sort of like kingdom of God chests where we can go out and try to do great things. Uh, All the money we get beyond like what we have to pay for insurances and like heating for the building, it it, it all goes into staffing and disciple-making ministry expansion. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I mean, all of it. So, I think that that's that's important.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think the last thing I would say is that um, there's a lot of people I happen with that don't understand what it means to be, what what has just been referred to in evangelicalism as being a missions church. Mm -hmm. That is a church that gives a substantial amount of its income every single year, just as a matter of fact, to global ministries, making disciples cross-culturally and cross-linguistically around the world. And High Point Church has, um, when I got here, it gave about 10% of its giving, which where we were financially 10 years ago for it to have been doing that was incredible. Um, And then it took about three or four years just to get it back to the promises we had made to these missionaries that had gone to live in foreign lands Mm -hmm. to serve Christ. And then we've been building since then. And we've seen um, that budget grow a lot. For a a number of years, we hadn't seen anybody going from High Point Church, that we weren't actually really sending people. Mm -hmm. But in the last few years, we've actually seen more of that. We've seen people especially want to go um, to sub-Saharan Africa um, with overland missions but you like you and Sunyoung young are, are going to be going hopefully to west africa mm-hmm. um, you started off in sub-saharan africa and then northern africa then china and so um seeing you guys get married and like getting ready to head out after you make your humans <laughs> um is another isn't like another younger couple because we have we have a lot of couples that are like 80 now coming off the field right. and so without people in these this younger generation ready to go um, and do even a different kind of mission, but still doing the same thing, making disciples for Jesus is necessary. So our church has seen um, a really strong, I mean, our, our, we give more than $200,000 a year along those lines. And we're seeing more people going now from High Point Church, which is which is important. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm excited about that. We have seen, um, uh, in terms of reaching a wider, one of the areas where there's potential is in college ministry, college-age ministry and in international students. We have seen college-age ministry go down a little bit as a percentage of the number of people come to high point on one level. I think that is encouraging because there's been a number of people who are in their middle twenties who have like found a way to stay in Madison and they have chosen to be here and mm-hmm. be part of this community, be part of high point so that they didn't just leave and they've become a larger portion of the church. And now they're in their early thirties. And so that's really actually really cool. Other than it creates a huge bottleneck in our nursery. <laughs> But um, one of the reasons why we are seeing fewer college students is partly because of Doxa Church coming to town. And this is a gospel-believing, kind of Baptist-ish church that believes the gospel, that's led pretty well, and they focus on campus ministry more than we do, and they're closer to the campus. So I don't think it's because fewer college kids are interested in God. I think it's that they're being split more evenly between, like, Chi Alpha, the charismatic ministry, this one that's rooted at Doxa Church, and so on. Mm-hmm. So we're still seeing college students. We're still seeing more upperclassmen who want more sustained biblical teaching but our relationships in those college ministries are not as strong as they used to be and I, I'd love to see us grow in that
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so okay. that's an area where I think we could have some growth in terms of being a church for the wider city because being at UW leading more students to faith and helping them become disciples is critical right. um, and I, I don't think we should recruit them all in a ministry but I think we need to lead more of them to faith and I think it's possible so I think that's an area where I, we could do better as a church
0: mm-hmm. Um, in an AMA time recently, you noted that you often feel really sobered by the the picture of sitting with Jesus at a table and having him kind of assess how we're doing um, in terms of like, are you, are we doing what he asked us to do? Yeah. So looking at tw- back at 2021 and forward to 2022, um, how do you, do you want to expand on that at all?
1: Yeah. Yes and no. I I, I can kind of, I'm picturing Mike rolling his eyes uh, because um, like part of this is my like, I, like one of the problems I have as a person is I keep changing the plan <laughs> because I think I can improve it by 2%. And why don't we just make the adjustment? Mm-hmm. And so part of that concern of mine can be really unhelpful because it can lead me to be like, well, let's keep changing everything so that we never have enough continuity to get anything done. And so it, it is a dangerous proclivity. And I confess that. However, I also think it's really easy to get sclerotic. Like you get into this thing and you think this is church. Church is singing three songs, praying for 40 seconds, reading a passage of the Bible, listening to preaching, eating bagels or pastries and coffee and going home. And I'm I'm really concerned about that because Jesus didn't really say exactly to do most of that. I mean, he, he called us to worship which appears to involve music. He calls us to be people of prayer. He wants us to be people who are hearers of his word and and then doers of it. So like in a way it's all really Christian and biblical, but whether or not we're really serving and loving our enemies and neighbors, whether or not we are brave enough to invite others to Christ, whether or not we're really living as vibrant disciples. Sometimes I feel like all of the things that we're doing and all the money we spend on it are like window fixings and like, like, pious substitutions for the actual living as disciples. And like, you know, like I've said before, like small groups in a way are an artificial way to create something that should be hundred percent organic. Like if we just all loved each other, showed each other hospitality and offered friendship and love to others, we wouldn't need a small groups program. And so we wouldn't need to employ anybody to do a small groups program. We wouldn't have to have small group trainings. Like we literally wouldn't have to do anything. They would just happen. But at the same time, one of the things you have to learn when you become a shepherd is people aren't the way they're supposed to be, (laughs) right? Like if you don't have a church, what happens is the Christians get scattered Mm -hmm. and then they get lost and then they get devoured by the lion, right? So to speak. And so having the building and having an employed pastor when you can afford it as a culture and stuff like that can be really beneficial and help people who otherwise wouldn't have the strength to endure. So I, I struggle with like, what would, if Jesus was here and I said, Jesus, how do you want me to do this? Like, are we doing what you said, or are we like doing a bunch of things that look like what you said, but not really doing what you said? Um, I think he would say, "Oh, Nick, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you're trying to do what I said, but you're spending a lot more money than you should have to, and um, I think you're kind of stuck at some traditions, like the Pharisees were, because every like every tradition Jesus attacks that the Pharisees had." I won't say all of them, most of them were piously intended, right? I don't think that the whole like, I mean, I think even the worst one where you could say something that you should use to support your parents was devoted to the Lord. And so you didn't have to use it to help your parents because you, quote, committed it to God, but you could still use it. Like, I think even that was designed to say, you should be able to devote things to God. And like, I think I had a pious intention. Then people naturally did pious things with it, right?
0: And they weren't designed to put a wall between people and God, that right. just just happened.
1: Right. I don't. I, I mean, I don't know any, of any anything the Pharisees did that was like that was just sheerly cynical. I think they. I think basically everything they did. I think some of the things the Sadducees did were cynical. Um, less than maybe I would want to blame them, but but like the Pharisees, I think that they they thought they were doing a fantastic job. I think that's why they were so upset at Jesus. Cause they were like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, we're, we're very pious. Like, this is all for God. And he's like, it's not the stuff for God. God wants. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel like you have to keep going back to the scriptures and say, okay, what did Jesus actually tell us to do? And what he actually told us to do was to take care of his sheep, to make disciples, right. And to build up the body of Christ. And then you have to ask, is the way we're doing this a reasonable way of doing it? And I think for the first and third, it is. I think that like using a church building like this and having a church staff and being structured this way to care, to shepherd Christ's sheep, to try to help them not be lost and to and then to build them up. Like it says in Ephesians four, I think it's re- it's reasonably okay for that. I'm sure there are better ways, but, but I feel like what gets lost is the disciple making the like very simple. I'm going to sit with you and help you become a, a disciple. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit with somebody else and they're going to help me become a disciple. We're going to do that with our non-believing friends and neighbors. We're going to, I don't, I don't know. But, but then again, I don't know how they did it in the second century either. You know, like when you could get killed for being a Christian, but like people were becoming Christians like crazy. I don't really know how they were doing that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Like I think they were just being bold and secret and quiet moments and trusting people wouldn't turn them in, you know? I don't know, mm-hmm. but I think, I think that like what happens with the churches is that people go, Oh, I'm part of this thing called the church. And then they like, they transfer their responsibility to this, like amorphous theoretical institution. And then they don't think of it as something that they're personally organically involved in. It's like their commission, like commission to make disciples is yours. Mm-hmm. Like he commissioned all the disciples. And so I feel like. And and making disciples is the most unworldly thing you can do because you're kind of like putting yourself on the line and you're going to get rejected. And some people aren't going to like you for talking about the Lord. And some people are going to think you're stupid and people are going to think you're too religious or like, there's all kinds of ways which like you are buffered by rejection and failure. And like anybody, most anybody would do almost anything to get out of that. Um, But to do it is to be submitted to God to say, look, I don't, no matter how much that I face, like what matters is God is pleased if I try to help people be made right with him. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the act of making disciples, like the actual work of what we call evangelism is so integral. And I just feel like, like Matt, Adam Avery came to do consult with us for a couple of days one time. And he said, he talked to us. He said, Nick, he said, almost any pastor in the country that I know would cut off one of their fingers to have your church, to to be you. Because they love God. People follow him. They care about the scriptures. They give generously. They don't create problems where there aren't problems. They want to be unified. Like This is an incredible church. He said, but I'll say one thing. He said, when I asked people, What's, what are you doing? What's the most important thing? Nobody said, make disciples. Mm-hmm. Not one person. They said a lot of very Christian things and and, and honestly impressive things. Way better than a lot of other churches I consult with. But what they did not say was make hundreds of disciples for Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's why we're here. And so I think as individual Christians, I think as our staff team and our elders, and I just think we have to and I, I think we have to become more internally truthfully focused on what it takes to become a disciple maker. Because I think what some churches do is they get reactive on this and they say, okay, we're not leading enough people to Jesus. Look at us, we're failures we're going to talk about evangelism constantly, make everybody feel bad that they're not doing it. And like it had like a well orchestrated marketing guilt trip to like tell everybody to to do it. I don't think that works. I think it makes it worse. I think people either leave or they just get kind of like passive aggressive, you know? And I remember being in a church in college where this new pastor came and he was just like, he'd been in a church that grew and he put up, this big banner in the church lord give us the harvest and he like preached on evangelism like every week for like i don't know 3 months
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know and about 5 months in he like was really upset with the church cuz like hardly anybody come come to faith and he's he took the he took the banner down he's like i'm not going to put that thing up until it's in your hearts and he was kind of like hurt and kind of like said it like you know you're you guys suck <laughs> you know and i remember thinking I think I know how he feels.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't think you're supposed to do that as a pastor. I don't think what you just did was good. But like, I also know how you feel. I mean, you poured your heart out for three months trying to get us to do evangelism. And we're not doing it, you know, <laughs> but like this get back, gets back to like, people aren't what they're supposed to be. Like, it's not just that people aren't doing evangelism. Like maybe we want them to, or that, or that Jesus wants them to. It's, there are reasons why. And if as, as a pastor, I need to shepherd people through the reasons why not to hopefully get them to their reasons to the work of doing it mm-hmm. and so for me what i'm doing right now is i'm getting out my list of people who aren't believers mm-hmm. and i'm asking myself why what gives have i shared christ with these people have i gotten together with these people how is my life structured so i don't have any time to ever talk to these people and what has to what has to happen for me to love these people mm-hmm. and for me i think a lot of it's schedule Sure. priorities, and and wasted time. Because mm-hmm. the busier I am, the more stressed out I am, the more I want to decompress, the more I want to waste time.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, Aaron and I were having a conversation recently about, um, you know, we have this Financial Peace University mm-hmm. class that we often host here. Um, and I'm, we were talking about how do we like make more space in our lives for hospitality and for evangelism. And I was like, I feel like I need a time management university of like, how do I like figure out how to cook the right me- like cook meals and budget my finances and like make space in our schedule and manage all these personal disciplines and run, run my household so that we can have more time and space for these things. Um, cause there are just a lot of these little practical things that we allow to get in the way. And sometimes we need some coaching on That class is starting in (laughs) March.
1: We'll see. Okay. Here's one thing I love about that idea um, is this. Uh, One of the reasons we do Financial Peace University instead of some of the other very good Christian finance classes is that Dave Ramsey takes a psychological approach to managing your money rather than a mathematical one. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't say, look, if you you save 10% and you do this and like, here's the numbers, just do it. He doesn't do that. He goes, you know, like when you go to the grocery line, there's something sitting right next to the thing that you really want. You realize they did that on purpose? <laughs> or, or do you realize that when you spend your money with a credit card, you spend 32% more than if you have cash in your hands? Right. There's something about the cash. You realize that's real money and you don't want to turn turn it loose. And when you pay your credit card, it's just psychologically easier to do it. And so you just spend more money. And like he takes this, he takes a psychological approach. That's why he said, he doesn't say when you pay off your debts, don't pay off the one with the highest interest rate, pay off the smallest one.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: So that when you pay it off, it'll be like, "Hey, we're making progress. I did something." Yeah, right. He'd like take because, and, and, like, I've had people say, "That's a, that's so stupid. You pay off the one with the highest interest rate." But no, no, no. What happens with normal human beings is when you pay off the smallest one, and then you pay off the next smallest one. You're like, "I made progress. I made progress. I made progress." And, you, and he calls it the debt snowball. You make you you increase how fast you're making progress, right? And so, I think that time management has to be that way too. That like it's not just like a planning approach. It's not like, Hey, get a calendar, use Google calendar. Like then you'll be good. It's like, no, why do you use your time the way you do? Right. And if you could understand yourself, then you might have a chance of figuring out what you want to be and what it would take to be that.
0: Right. And also like, you know, we're comparing ourselves to the Beresford's who had like 200 people in their house in the last (laughs) year or two. Um, and we're like, what would it take for me to get to that? I'm like, maybe that's the wrong question. <laughs> maybe what does faithful look like for me, and how do I yeah. take one step closer this month? Yeah. Um, and how do I? But then I need to learn how to manage all these things. There's so many little things that go into it. So anyway.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, if you just start with like, we're gonna have people over for dinner every other week, right? And we're gonna try to make sure we invite somebody over who's not a believer, right? And just like with some of the other Christians, we're going to invite over mm-hmm. and just see how that goes. Right. I mean, just yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have to. You're not going to be bare shorts. <laughs> I there mean, not people, in this
0: stage of life, at yeah, least. Yeah, some
1: people. Yeah, I mean, part of it is their stage of life. Right. Part of it is their temperament. I right. mean, Mike's like a really consummate extrovert. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes the, the people we hold up as models are are um, demotivating to people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that. I think the Beresfords, as an example, could be that. Other than just to know that, like they choose to live a lifestyle of welcoming people into their home, Mm -hmm. and then you could just ask yourself, well, what would that be for you? Maybe it's not three times, three or four times a week. Maybe it's once a week or every other week. Mm -hmm. You know, but um, but most of us do have some kind of opportunity if we look for it, right?
0: So to close, um, I think people could probably deduce your answer from this, from what you said, but. What do you feel like Jesus's prayer request for High Point would be for this coming year?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that it is. I think that the purpose of human beings um, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever and to help others and to share that. You know, I think that the purpose of beings created in God's image who are loved by God is to act like God. That is to live in what the Bible calls godliness. So I think that ultimately our goal is to love God and to pursue godliness or to put it in Jesus terms to love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, And I think that has to be the pursuit. And I think that we have to realize that sharing Jesus with other people is part of loving God and loving our neighbor. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Right. So it's not like the one thing. The one thing is loving God and then loving our neighbor because we love God. And then to When we act for anybody's true good, it's that they should be reconciled to their creator Mm -hmm. and that they should be connected to the idea that they are made in God's image and loved by God, the King, and that the main purpose of their life is to learn how to live that out. That is godliness. And so therefore, until you belong to Christ, you can't possibly participate in that. Your true worth, your real meaning, your actual destiny at all. Um, And so you can approximate it in certain worldly ways, right? Right. But you can't be what you were made to be. And so if you really committed to the true good of another person and to the glory of God, inviting people to be at peace with God and to be his is fundamental to that, you know, mm-hmm. as well as all the other goods we can do. But you can you can never erase the centrality of it. So I do think that's important. But I, I think that ultimately our pursuit is godliness. And in, in um, living that out, it's going to lead to us doing all the things that are the gifts that come together to produce evangelism that is inviting people and leading people to become his disciples. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Okay.
0: Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of engage and equip. And we want to end with a note of thanks again for the volunteers and staff and people who have just really faithfully walked out their devotion to Christ by pouring out their gifts and resources and in ways of service to the church and the community over the last year. And, um, pray that this coming year will be one of great flourishing and growth depth mm-hmm. and also of new life in our community yeah. and um looking forward to see what god will do yeah. in the coming year
1: yeah and i th- I think also just really briefly too the um i think the the whites were really really um, not sound of shock, but just kind of astounded at the love people showed in like buying gifts for them and helping them out and people, babysitters provided and gifts and so on. I think welcoming a uh, associate pastor from out of town, moving their family is, is a, is a really big deal. It means a lot to people. And I think we, I think we did a really good job of welcoming Devin mm-hmm. as a church. And so I hope you'll continue to do that. Um, as we move forward.
0: Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to
1: find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like those. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thank you for listening
0: to this episode of Engage in Equipment.